0: Christmas, and to, to just learn about them, to learn about uh, the heart behind it. And, and typically, uh, during the Christmas series, we usually talk about the wise men, um, but the reality is, the wise men happened two, almost probably two years after uh, Christ was born to scholars. And so, uh, today, this morning, uh, as we finish up our, our series uh, called Great Joy, and as we look at the background of songs and who sang them and the importance of it, uh, we're going to look at another story that isn't always talked about a whole lot um, by a name, man named Simeon. Um, it's a story that it often isn't looked at or, um, or known. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to, to Luke chapter 2. Now, it doesn't mean that the wiseman's story wasn't important because there's so much truth to that. Uh, but this story I want to talk about as we finish up the, the looking at the songs and the hymns that were sang as people encountered uh, Jesus. I felt that this one was special as well. So Luke chapter 2, uh, we're going to kind of start in verse 22, and, and we're going to go to verse 35. And it just says this, <coughs> And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him that the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came into the Spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Uh, Jesus, we... We're just asking this morning, God, that you would, um, that you would speak, that your, that your spirit would help us to understand this passage, to see it and what it really is about and the truth behind it. And I pray that through this, Lord, that we would apply it and that we would be obedient um, to what it says. And pray that it would transform and challenge us, Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this story um, according to Jewish law happened forty days after the birth of Christ uh, eight days after Jesus was born he was to be circumcised according to Jewish law and Jewish tradition and then 33, thirty another thirty three days um, Mary and Joseph and the mom would would bring him to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord um, and, and this is found in Leviticus twelve and it's custom and, and the way uh, Jewish law works is that if females give birth to a son, the purification process is a little different than the of a, of a female. Um, but the reality is, regardless of what happens after their purification time, they're they're called to bring um, him to the temple to 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 be dedicated, to be offered up. And so we find ourselves uh, about forty days after Jesus was born, and they were they were they were to bring sacrifices. Now, if they could afford it, they were to bring a lamb and a bird, uh, one for a burnt offering and one for a sin offering. Uh, but if they couldn't afford it according to Leviticus 12, they were to bring two birds, two pigeons or two doves. And so in here, in this passage, it's saying that they brought two pigeons or two doves, uh, which means they probably couldn't afford uh, a lamb. They couldn't afford to bring a, a, um, an animal uh, other than a bird for sacrifice. And so they're bringing him to the temple And let me ask you a question. Have you guys ever told God, Lord, I want this to happen before you come back? Is there anything in life that you're like, God, this needs to happen, and then you can come back, but I have to experience this. Like, you know, for me, you know, obviously growing up, it was, God, let me graduate high school, and then let me get married, Jesus, before you come back. And then it's, let me have a child. God, I I just want a child. And then you can come back. And it just keeps going. And we keep telling God, Lord, don't come back because we want to experience this. And you ever um, maybe had to to wait for something. um, And you ever make the decision to rush before you actually waited? I know for me, um, I'm not big on waiting. If I see something, I usually, I usually have to get it, and it drives Becky crazy because she just tells me to wait, wait. Um, and so one of those decisions, if, if you have seen, I have a, a black car that I got about eight years ago, um, and I wasn't supposed to buy a car. I was waiting, um, my, my vehicle was going, and uh, Becky and I had a conversation about me getting a bigger vehicle, an SUV of some sort. Um, and, and I was looking for something with low mileage, Um, But something to be able to drive me back and forth to work as well as something that's going to protect me. Um, But for me, I I went to a dealership and I found this car and it only had 44,000 miles on it. And you know, Toyotas, if you can just change the oil, they'll run forever. Well, I bought this car and it did not go well with Becky. It's lasted me, but she wanted something that was going to be a little more protection than a car. And I was looking for something that would save me money on gas. And, you know, as I grow older and as I become a parent, I realize that getting safety is a lot more than saving on gas, uh, especially when you have a family. And Becky says that you have precious cargo in the car. so, um, So we often want something. And sometimes the decision, you know, on the call and the ask to wait is there. But if you're like me... There's always this impatience. There's always a a time in life where it's like, I just want to, I don't want to wake up. I want to see it. Um, And and in this story, we come upon a man, Simeon, who's been waiting a long time to meet the Savior, to meet salvation, to meet the consolation of Israel. And it says that this man was devout and, and righteous meaning that, that he was obedient to the Lord, that he was, that his yeses were yes and his noes were no, and he was respected and he respected others, and, and he loved the, the Lord God, and, and he believed in God's promise that a Messiah was going to come. And God told him, hey, you're not going to go until you meet the Messiah, until you meet the salvation of the Lord. Now, can you imagine going about your day, going about your busyness, whether it's gardening or, you know, you're playing video games or you're doing something, and the Spirit says, hey, I want you to go to this place at this time on this day. And you're like, okay, like, I don't know why, you know, and, and it says that, that the Holy Spirit was upon him and God, and the Spirit is the one that led him. The Spirit spoke to him on when he should be there. Uh, he had no idea. Uh, without the the power of the Spirit, that that Jesus and the the Messiah was going to show up. But that day, him waiting for so long for the consolation of Israel. And, And the Greek word for consolation comes from the word paraclypsis, which means encouragement, comfort, joy, counselor. And so he was waiting for the counselor. He was waiting for the prince of peace. He was waiting for the comforter that Isaiah 9-6 that we are so familiar with, that for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is waiting for the Messiah to come, and the Spirit says, hey, go. You're about to interact about to come in contact with the salvation that you've been waiting for. And so this guy runs to the temple. Now, many people believe that he was a priest. Um, There's nothing in this passage that inclines that he was a priest or what he was doing or if he was working that day. Um, It just says that he went to the temple as being led by the Spirit. And while there, Mary and Joseph comes. And he's there interact with him. It says that he took the baby Jesus and he raised him up and it says that he blessed them and that he prophesied over Jesus and he prophesied to Mary and Joseph. And some of the things that Simeon talked about and the challenges uh, that, that he encouraged his parents with were these First and foremost, we understand that in this passage, when we look at the song, Simeon puts us in a state of awe with his worshipful, spirit-led words. The prophecy, the song that he sang here came from the influence and and the empowerment of the spirit on his life. And we look at this, and we can't help but but worship what he said. We can't help but worship Jesus. And now, We expect or we understand that Simeon was an old man, uh, but nothing in this passage does. But other than the fact where it says, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He was ready to meet Jesus. He was ready to meet his father. He was ready to go to heaven. And so he says these words, and here are the truths that Simeon says. The first one is this, is that Jesus is salvation to all people. Simeon says, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people's. Simeon saw salvation. Now, it wasn't an an event. It wasn't an action. It wasn't a verb. He wasn't talking about being saved from something. He was talking about a person, that he saw salvation. He saw the one, the Savior of the world come. And that is so joyful to know that he saw salvation. And the next one is this. Jesus is revelation to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. He says, I've seen salvation. And then he says that you've prepared, right, in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now, this word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypto, which is where we get the word apocalypse, where we get revelation. Um, and, And so Jesus is coming to be revelation to the Gentiles. Well, Up to this point, God was only interacting with Jewish people. He was only interacting with Israel. And so Israel knew the Messiah. Israel understood that the Messiah was coming. But it was at this and the promises throughout Isaiah and others that God is going to begin to witness and and interact with the Gentiles. And so he says that, that, that he will be revelation to the Gentiles. Now, there are two forms of revelation that we look at Scripture. The first one is this, general revelation. It's what we see every day. This is available to everyone. Romans 1, 19 through 20 says that For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that, you ha- that he has made. So they are without excuse. Right? Every single one that is born has already seen God in creation. They've seen God's power. They've seen his glory in everything around us. They're interacting with with people and interacting with nature. And so God has already shown himself. But if you go further in Romans, it says that they have declined it. Now next is special revelation. This isn't available for everyone, but it's to whom God chooses to reveal. Special revelation are things that God chooses to reveal that are outside of the things that we get to see every day. And the one main special revelation that that we have is the Word of God. The Word of God is inspired by the Spirit, inspired by God. And so 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching or reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The special revelation is is scripture. And, And in our Sunday school class, we've been learning about this, that God's desire to speak and God's desire to show himself and reveal himself outside of creation is found in his word. Then ultimately, we know that Jesus is the ultimate special revelation. Hebrews uh, one says this long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our for our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he is speaking to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so Simeon is looking at Jesus, and he says, this is the special revelation to the Gentiles. And this is what Israel has been waiting for, the glory of Israel. And that is another name for Jesus. So Jesus is a revelation to the Gentiles, and he's glory for Israel. So we look at these, and we're so thankful that God chose himself to say, you know what? Extend this family. Not only are my people Israel going to be a part of this, but I'm going to extend it to the Gentiles. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that he did that because I wouldn't be standing here. None of us would be in here sitting here today if it wasn't for Jesus choosing to come to the Gentiles, those who are non-Jews. Uh, Peter, in Acts 15, when, when there's all this argument going on that the Gentiles aren't being circumcised and all these things that are happening, Peter gets up. In Acts 15, it says this, After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter in Acts is saying, guys, Jesus came for the Gentiles just as much as he came for us, Israels. So Simeon is rejoicing on this. And in the midst of this passage, and, and I don't know how this is a, a blessing, but in 43 it says that his father and mother marveled, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is pointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. I don't know how that's a blessing to let Mary know that you're going to have heartache. A, soul, a spear is going to pierce through your soul as you watch your son be betrayed, as you watch your son be handed over to be crucified. Mary, I, I couldn't imagine Mary knowing, right, knowing that her son is going to be the savior of the world, but at the same time wrestle with the fact that his, her son has to be crucified for salvation for people. I couldn't imagine as a parent to be living every day knowing that one day you're not going to see your son. And one day you're going to see your son be handed over. And so in this passage, she turns to Mary and and Joseph and says, hey, your son will be rejected. The salvation has come. The salvation, the revelation to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. But here's the thing. Many are going to reject him. But here's the reality. Luke 17 says he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Christ had to be rejected. And as a parent, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, any time my child isn't invited into a circle, like, <laughs> like that is something that, that, that pierces my soul, watching as she is trying to find friendship, and sometimes she's not invited in, and, and to know that your son, the Savior of the world, is not going to be accepted by the world, that your son is not going to be accepted by everyone. There are going to be people who reject you, and that, that, that costs him aside. But we know this, the Simeon song brings hope not only to the Jews, but to all people, even the Gentiles. In this passage, even though Mary knows that her soul is going to be pierced, and even though she knows that one day her her son is going to be crucified for the salvation of people, in this moment, she also knows and marvels that there's hope, that her son is going to bring hope not only to the Jews, but also to all people, to the Gentiles. turn with me and turn to, to John 1. And many of you guys know this passage, but here's the reality. John 1, starting in verse 1, says this, In the word, be- in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, the, the light of the Gentiles. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light reveals, light illuminates, light shows so we know john and then nine the true light which gives light to everyone's coming into the world he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him he came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god and the word became flesh and dwelt among us And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John himself even says that Jesus has come to his own people, and his own people rejected him. His own people didn't want him. I can just imagine Mary and Joseph hearing that. But even Jesus himself in Matthew 21 says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So the question for us, is what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us as Gentiles, as non-Jews? What does this mean? Well, first we know that because Christ came, we can choose him. Because Christ came, we can choose him. God has given us a free will. When he created the world, and we know that sin came into the world, it's because man chose the sin. Man chose to go against God. God says, hey, you can either choose this or choose this, and they chose sin, and sin consequences are death and eternal life away from God. But Jesus came, and so we get to choose him. He doesn't force it. He says, hey, you can choose me. Some are going to reject him. But those that choose him, the Bible says, is life. Those that choose him, the Bible says, is redemption and healing and forgiveness and identity. When we choose Jesus, we find out who we actually are because Christ is the one that created us. And when we find our identity in the creator himself, we find our true selves. You have a choice. You can choose Jesus or reject him. But here's the thing, there are eternal consequences for both. If you choose to reject him, you choose to spend eternity away from him. But if you choose him, you choose life. You choose to spend eternity with Christ. Now when you choose him, yeah, you're going retru- to choose ridicule. And you're going to choose people who are going to go against you. Why? Because you believe in Jesus and they've rejected him. But overall, when we choose Jesus, we choose life. Christ is your salvation. And when we submit to him, he's going to illuminate everything in our lives, including our sin. Why? Because he wants to heal it. He wants to forgive it. He wants to take it and say, hey, I see this, and I want to take it from you because I want to forgive you because my blood has covered that. But here's the thing. For some of you, you might have slight opposition to Christ. You're here in church because your parent or your spouse or your friend or your grandparents brought you, and you came because you love them. And sometimes you have no idea where your opposition to Christ comes from. And it could come from your experiences. Your opposition to Christ could come from the church hurt that you've experienced over the years. Because the reality is, is that church people do hurt people. But here's the thing the common denominator to your opposition is sin. Sin is totally in contrary to Christ. Sin says that I want to choose my own way and I don't want to choose Christ's way. And so when we choose sin, even if we are believers and we choose sin, we're choosing to regret, to reject Christ because we're choosing to go against his law and against his will and against everything that he has for us. So we're either going to go down with our sin or we're going to look to Jesus for forgiveness and we're going to look to Christ for acceptance. But we get to choose him because Christ came, we can rejoice. We can continually remind ourselves of where we were and where we're at now. We can remind ourselves of the, of the deep, dark pit that we were in, and Christ reached down, and when we accepted his help, and we accepted his gesture of pulling us out, we accepted it, and we found life. And so we need to continually remind ourselves that Christ came for us. See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, isn't for unbelievers. It's for believers as well. We gotta continually remind ourselves of the goodness of Jesus. First Timothy one12 through seventeen says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, prosecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I have acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus overflowed from me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is saying, look, I'm so thankful for this. That God showed me mercy. That God saved me, a sinner. And and he says, in some translations says that I'm the worst one. Because I've killed Christians. I've rejected Christ. I persecuted Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I'm calling you out of that. Because I love you. We can be so thankful and a reminder of where we were and where Christ is bringing us. and, and, And his love for us. And because Christ came, we can bring the gospel to others. Because Christ came, we can go and proclaim to the world what Jesus Christ has done for us. Your greatest witness, your greatest apologetic that you have is your own testimony. People can't deny your experiences with Jesus. So when you encounter Jesus, you can go and tell others about that. Because Christ came, we can go and we can tell others. And the bottom line is this is our awe of the season, of this Christmas season, of life, should never exceed our awe for our wonderful Savior. Simeon, in that moment, with everything going on and his patiently waiting, he lifted up the baby Jesus, and he was just in awe of this 40-day-old baby. And he wouldn't have known that this baby is the Savior of the world other than when the Spirit prompted him and said, hey, you're about to interact with Jesus, the Messiah, right? Right? Jesus, salvation, all of those things can only be revealed by Christ and the Spirit themselves. We cannot find Jesus without the inclination of the Spirit tugging on our hearts. Why? Because our flesh is totally against Christ, and we need Jesus and the Spirit to pull us the other way. But here's the good news. Every single one of us who claims to be believers— If we follow Jesus and and we spend time with him and we focus on on walking in the spirit, we can hear from the spirit as well. Just like Simeon did, we can hear that. And we can worship Jesus and interact and find Jesus like never before. And so as we close, you have a choice. You can either choose the beautiful baby boy that was born to be the savior of the world the one that grew up, lived a perfect, sinless life, who chose to be beaten, who chose to be rejected, who chose to bleed out for our salvation. Or we can reject that. That's your choice. I can't force you. I can't make you. I can only tell you the truth. And the truth is that God loves you, that God desires a relationship with you, that God chose to come down because he desired you. And when we accept him, the Bible says that his healing power, his spirit, his joy, his peace, and ultimately his love become ours. So who are you going to choose? Are you choosing Christ? Are you choosing not? Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, God, we worship you. We thank you that we have this choice, that you came. We thank you that you allowed Simeon to see the salvation of the world. We thank you that you became a a revelation to the Gentiles, that you chose to reveal yourself to us. I thank you that we have a chance to choose salvation and choose life. So God, as we celebrate by singing this final song, may our hearts turn and continue to turn to worship in all of you for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.